0: Culture's view on marriage is changing right before us every single moment of the day. And in fact, for the first time in our lifetime, the majority of adults are actually not married. So I'm going to give you some statistics that are quite revealing. I'll give you three of them. The first one is this. In the last five decades, marriage rates have dropped by nearly 60%. Another sobering statistic is that 63% of men under the age of 30 are choosing to be single. They're choosing. So if you're looking for a man under 30, they're intentionally sitting on the bench. If you're wondering, where are they? Like, yeah, they're they're not out there. So if you ask them why, it's because dating's a hassle. It feels like going on a job interview, or we like the freedom. Or as one of my pastors when I was growing up said, why buy the cow if you're getting the milk for free? Now, he wasn't a popular pastor at that moment, but that's him. That's not me. I'm just quoting him. But that's the kind of mentality and the thinking along the way. And then the big issue we see right now is 77% of millennials prefer to live with their, parent or their partner before marriage. And they might argue, you know, why, why buy a car without test driving it first? And this is the mindset today that marriage is not as important. It's not something that the culture values. And so people are delaying marriage or avoiding marriage, and yet almost everyone you still meet has this craving, has this desire to be with someone special. And so if they do get married, when they do get married, tragically about half or so of those marriages end up in divorce. And that's heartbreaking, and it breaks the heart of God. And then perhaps the other half, well, they might not divorce, but many struggle. And when we look on at the state of marriages today, we'd have to agree that something is not working, yet the culture continues to do what the culture always does. But if you do what most people do, you'll get what most people get. If you want something different, you have to do something different. It's going to take a different approach. So that's what we're going to do today as we continue our series, Made for Mondays, Finding God in the ordinary. We're going to look at a different approach to getting to know someone and working toward a marriage and sustaining a marriage that honors God. So I'm calling this message, finding the love that you want. So God, I just pray right now that your word would speak life into us and build our faith and strength, strengthen our relationships God, give us the tools, the resources today to, to date, to marry, to stay married, and to honor you in all of our relationships. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. So let's dive into the book of Ruth, and if you weren't here last week, we're going to do a little recap, a little review, or if the coffee just hadn't kicked in yet last week and you're a little foggy on the details, don't worry, I'm going to catch you up to speed. So this is a story of an ordinary family of four that lived in Bethlehem. And when there was a famine in Bethlehem, the father, the husband, got worried about feeding his family. And so he left Bethlehem and he went to Moab, which is about 50 miles away. So we figured it would take anywhere from like 12 to 16 hours to walk there. And this was a massive mistake, this move from Moab to Bethlehem. Because number one, God said, don't marry the people of Moab and don't even go to Moab because this was a people that was founded through incest. They worship a false god called Chemosh and they would actually make child sacrifices to this god. God even said that Moab is his wash basin." that's what God said in scriptures, in the Psalms. So this dad is worried about his family. So during the famine, they leave Bethlehem. They go to Moab in order to save the family. And the dad and the two sons ended up dying in Moab. And it's this heartbreaking start to the story. Chapter one, it just starts with heartbreak and loss. So Naomi turns from Moab. She leaves Moab to return to Bethlehem, where they originally were. And Moab And in Moab, she actually had two sons that were there with her, and they married Moabite women. And at the end of this, she decides to go back, but one of them stays in Moab. So we see the story pick up when Ruth decides to go with her, and she makes this famous statement to Naomi. Naomi's going back to Bethlehem. She's leaving Moab to go back, and Ruth, one of her daughters, her daughter-in-law, says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. She makes the declaration of loyalty and she turns away from the God of Moab. She turns to the God of Bethlehem and this is her moment of salvation and she becomes new. So what happens? Naomi, the mother-in-law and Ruth, the new believer, the new follower of God return to Bethlehem they're homeless, they're hopeless, and they're hurting. And some of you are hurting today. Some of you are in a very painful place. And chapter one of Ruth starts with heartbreak. But the good news is that today we're turning the page. We're starting in chapter two. Today, chapter one comes to an end, and we're in chapter two. And chapter one is behind us. And we've turned the page. So I don't know who this is for, but metaphorically speaking, for some of you, I believe God is going to turn a page in your story. You've been stuck for a long time in chapter one. And right now in God's word, God is going to do something in your life. He's going to meet you where you're at and show you something and moving away. And he's going to turn a page. You're going to start chapter two. So when you leave Moab and go to Bethlehem, you're going to discover some good news. When you turn away from Moab, you'll find God's blessing in Bethlehem. So today we're in chapter two. So if you're ready for chapter two, just say, I'm ready for chapter two. All right. So let's dive in. Verse one says this. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband on her husband's side, a man of standing. Can everyone say a man of standing? All right. Another version says he was a strong man, a man of standing from the clan of a Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. He's a strong man. He's a man of standing. Now, when it says he was a strong man, this doesn't necessarily mean that he had nice arms and wore the tight-fitting T-shirts. It wasn't strong in that way. It means that he had internal strength. He had character. He had integrity. Or interestingly enough, in the Hebrew language, it means that he was a man of wealth or even more literally, he was a man of property. So he had property, he was a man of standing. Which, if you can allow me to play with this for a moment, I would say that a man of standing is better than a man of sitting. Like, you don't want someone who's just passive, that just lets life goes by, that's just complacent. You want someone who's standing, a man with work ethic, with drive, might even own something or have a job. What you want is a Boaz. I still remember the day that Amanda and I, I resigned from my youth pastorate. We found out we were expecting, and we decided to move in with my in-laws. And I told my father-in-law that, and his face went white as a ghost. We're moving in with you, and we're having a baby, and I don't have a job anymore. Like, that's not ideal. (laughs) You want a Boaz. I've even heard one preacher online say, you don't want no lazy ass? You sure don't want no broke ass? You don't want no dumbass, you want a boaz. And just to make that clear, I said as, with a Z. So we're just having fun, so don't get all freaked out. But some of you might be saying, you just described my last three boyfriends. Well, you don't want that. You want a Boaz. So let's look at the next verse. It says this in verse two. Ruth, the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone else in whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. You go, get to work. So Ruth went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. Now you might ask, what does it mean to glean? Well, what's interesting is to glean is something you can read about in Leviticus 19 it's when God commanded the Israelites to let the poor follow behind them. And so if you were harvesting something and you dropped a bit on the ground, well, you were not to pick that up. That was for the widows or those who were outcast or poor to come behind and you would leave it for them so that they could gather it. And that was God's way of providing for them, kind of like a food bank or a soup kitchen. And it's God's way of saying, I want to care for those who don't have what everyone else has. It's actually beautiful. And so this was what Ruth was doing as a widow. She went out to glean and pick up what was left over, what was dropped on the ground. So we see in the next verse, so Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happened, or another version says, it just so happened. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. As it happened, it just so happened. I believe that when we read this, it's actually God winking at us, like he's kind of just like, it just so happened. And this brings up one of the major themes in the book of Ruth, it just so happened. When you read through this book, you're going to notice that there are no supernatural miracles from God. There's no burning bush, there's no parting of the Red Sea, there's no voices coming down from heaven. But although you don't see supernatural miracles in this book, what you do see is the supernatural providence of God. You see, a God who provides the providential power of God all the way through the book of Ruth. And what is the providence of God? Well, I believe it's a fancy way of saying it's whenever God uses natural circumstances to bring about his supernatural plans. I love that definition. It's when you think you're just so happening. You go to this one place and you just happen to meet someone and it just happens to lead to something else and it just happens to lead to the blessings of God and you think, man, what a coincidence. That is the providential power of a good God. Romans 8.28 says, we know that this God, he works in all things, in everything, in the good things and in the bad things, in the things that you don't like in chapter one and in the blessings of chapter two. He works in all things to bring about his goodwill. He works in all things to bring about his goodwill to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Ruth just so happens to be working in the field of a man named Boaz. And if this story were a movie like we talked about last week, it's a rom-com, it's a chick flick. And in every chick flick, there's going to be the plot twists where they try to get you. And this is where Ruth is at her lowest. She's gleaning, she's picking up the leftovers off the ground, and then enters that handsome hero. Now, he might not have been handsome, we don't know. I like to visualize him handsome. He might have been ugly, and but maybe because he was a business owner, she's like, OK, that's a good thing. So we don't know what he looked like. She might have been happy when she saw his looks. He might not have been. Like, when I first met Amanda, I noticed her right away and she noticed my friend. But I swooped in and worked hard to show her that I was a man of standing. (laughs) So Ruth just happens to come across a man named Boaz. And why do you think she just so happened to come across Boaz? We got a little clue here. If you remember last week in chapter one, Naomi, the mother-in-law, actually prayed for Ruth. And do you remember what she prayed? She prayed, may the Lord show you kindness And may he bring you a husband. She prayed that in chapter one. And when she prayed, God listened. And I hope that's a reminder for you today that every time you pray, God is listening. He cares about what you care about. He isn't just here and with you on Sundays. He's with you on Mondays too and all throughout the week. And when you cry out to him, he shows up. That's why praying for, if you have the desire in your heart one day to get married, praying for your future spouse, I believe, is a really wise thing to do. If you're a parent and you want your kids to marry well, it's a, it's a wise thing to, to pray for your children and their future spouses, because the day's going to come where you're going to be praying some of them in, and you're going to be praying others of them out. <laughs> I know that that was my parents. They were on their knees praying. But we want to be a praying people. And when we pray, God just so happens to show up. And God just so happens to do what only he can do. So Ruth is out working in the fields. She's just being responsible. She's working in the field. And she just so happens to meet Boaz. And verse 4 tells us this. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. And what did he say to his workers? He said, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. And they respond, the Lord bless you. What do you see with this guy? Well, very clearly, you see he's a leader. He's kind to his people. And the first thing he's talking about is the Lord. The Lord bless you. Now, sometimes when I say this, it makes some people mad. So especially when I was a youth pastor. So if I haven't made you mad yet, let's see what I can do. If you're a serious disciple of Jesus, and you want to marry someone with a seri- who is a serious disciple of Jesus too, and you meet someone, and you don't hear about Jesus or God or church or their faith relatively early in the conversation, chances are they're not that serious about their faith. And you might be thinking most of the criticism from the youth were like, whoa, that's judgmental. Like People have their own interests. And it's like, I get it. But people tend to talk about first what they value most. So if you're a committed follower of Jesus and you're not hearing something about their faith early on, maybe even within the first hour, then they might not be as passionate as you're going to want somebody to be when you go through life needing the power of God, needing it to, to get you through every single day. But Boaz comes in and the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. And and what I love about Boaz is he's not a priest, he's not a prophet, he's not a pastor, and yet he has a ministry to his people. He's working his mission field. And his fields of harvest is also his fields of ministry. And I hope that encourages you, that you don't have to be in full-time ministry to be in full-time ministry. You don't have to have some kind of title or work for a nonprofit or go to another country as a missionary to be a missionary in your school. You don't have to go overseas to preach the gospel. Let the way you live preach the gospel. So this is just an ordinary business owner who's letting the light and the love of God shine through his life. And while he's serving God, he just so happens to notice Ruth. And what did he notice? Well, To be candid, if she had an online dating profile, it wouldn't have been ideal. Like, think about it. You look her up, and if she was honest, because not everybody's honest on there, she probably has one good picture, just that's it. And then, how... (laughs) I love hearing the kids. And then... That one picture was probably a picture of when she was in her prime seven years ago. It wouldn't have been something that it, it, it might not have been something that he was really drawn to. And, and if you want to know where I'm getting this information and where I'm making up a bit of this, it's because she was a Moabite, meaning she was from the wrong people group. She used to worship the wrong God. She was widowed now, which means she wasn't a virgin, which was a huge deal at the time. She was homeless, she was destitute, and she came with a grumpy old mother-in-law. Like, talk about the baggage, right? And we could say that she had a complicated past. But here's what I love about Ruth. She did not let her past define her. And I'm gonna tell you right now, don't let your past talk you out of God's plan for your future. Don't let it happen. And I know some people wrestle with, well, I can never because I I did this or I used to do... I had a complicated past before I became a fully devoted follower of Jesus. I lived a very sinful lifestyle. And oh man, on paper, that would disqualify me from what I'm doing now. But I believe the grace I received empowers me to be able to speak to others and say, if God can redeem me, if he can reach into the mess and meet me where he met me, he can do the same thing for you. So don't let your past talk you out of what God wants to do in your present and in your future. So let's look back at what happened with Ruth and Boaz as they're about to meet. Boaz asked his foreman, hey, I see that girl over there. Who's that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And that's the old version of creeping on somebody's profile. That's what he's doing. He's kind of trying to find out the information, find out some more details. And the foreman said, she's a young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. And this woman, she's been hard at work ever since. So all of a sudden, Boaz, a man of standing, is looking on this unlikely woman, and he notices some things that stand out in her. And gentlemen, what, what are you looking for in a woman of God that stands out from what you're going to see in most people in culture today? Well, we see four things that he would have noticed in her. Then we see, first of all, she's faithful to God. Second thing we see is she's loyal to her family. Then we see that she's a hard worker. And finally, she honors God morally. So first, she's faithful to God. She turned away from her people. She turned away from the false God of Chemosh to serve the God of Israel. She's loyal to her family. The other one, Orpah, she was the one who stayed back in Moab. But Ruth made the sacrificial decision to stay with Naomi and go to Bethlehem. Third, she's a hard worker. She's not waiting around for someone to meet her needs. She's not crying out that she's a victim. She's up early and she's gleaning in the field. And finally, she honors God morally. And how do we know this? Because almost every widow during that time was forced into prostitution in order to pay the bills. And she refuses to do what most do. She's out working in the field, sweating in the heat of the day. She honors God morally. And these are the qualities that stand out. If you want something different, you want to be something different. You want to honor God. You want to be faithful to people. You want to be a hard worker and you want to honor God by living a life that's pleasing to God morally. And the text goes on to tell us this. Scripture says, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Now watch this. He says, don't go to any other fields. I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly. In other words, He's saying, I'm going to protect you from them being inappropriate to you. And then he says, when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water that they have drawn from the well. He's protecting her. He's caring for her needs. And then what does he do? The next thing he does is he prays for her. Right in verse 12, he prays for her, and this is what he prays. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And all of a sudden, we see some qualities that stand out in Boaz. And the four qualities that stand out in Boaz are, number one, he honors her. Number two, he protects her. Number three, he provides for her. And number four, he prays for her. He honors her. Like, I know it sounds old-fashioned, but my dad always said that I needed to be the kind of guy that opened the door for a girl, that opened the door for Amanda, and she still holds that over me when I forget to do those things. And she's like, hey, didn't your dad raise you better? But you you want someone who's going to take you to a nice restaurant and leave a tip and who actually pays the bill. And he protects her. He's going to protect her from ungodly men. And you want someone that's going to protect you, not just from men, but protect your heart and protect your purity. He provides for her. And what we're going to see next week is that he's incredibly generous. And then he prays for her. You want someone who prays for you and praise with you because you need the power and presence of God in your life. That's what you're looking for in a man. So men, that's what you want to develop in your own heart. You want to be someone that honors women, that will protect them and be a blessing to them. And I often tell people, don't just look for the right person, but work on becoming the right person. And then... We see what happens next. It gets pretty emotional to me. And scripture says at mealtime, Boaz said, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvester, he offered her some roasted grain. And she ate all that she wanted, and she had some left over. She had all that she wanted, and she had some left over. Because we serve a God who does exceedingly and abundantly more than all you can ask, think, or imagine according to his power that is at work within his people. What you want is someone that doesn't just meet the needs you have, but exceeds your expectation by blessing you with the blessings from God and loving you in a way that honors God and helps you feel secure in all that you do. This is a very different approach. Instead of just sliding into someone's DMs, like, hey, what's up, Netflix and chill? I don't know if that's a saying anymore, but I can only imagine what's out there. But this is a very, very different approach. And we're going to see much more next week of how to take a different approach if you want a different result. But I want to just pause and slow it down and try to bring this to a powerful moment between you and God. And just summarize what we've seen so far in the story. Because in so many ways, all of us are a lot like Ruth. A Moabite who had sinned against God. And in a very similar way, we're all Moabites. We've all sinned against God. We've all fallen short of the standards that he set. And Ruth came empty-handed with nothing to offer. And so do we. Our hearts are deceitful above all else. Everything good she she had would be given to her in the same way everything good we have is gleaned from the goodness of a loving God, a God of mercy and a God of grace. But then Boaz blessed Ruth with more than she ever expected. And in the same way, God blesses us with more than we ever deserve. His grace covers our sins. His power makes us new. His peace goes beyond the human ability to even understand it. And what I want you to notice is Boaz invited Ruth to his table in the same way that Jesus invites us to his table, where he offers us the bread and the wine, his body and his blood, so that no matter what your past is like, you can be made new. So in a moment, we're actually going to be celebrating communion. This morning, because it's already October 1st, which is hard to believe. But before doing so, take a moment to reflect on and confess your sins to Christ. Because just as I've been talking with others, as I've been studying, as I've been navigating the difficulties of life, we see so much about how we need to be living. a sinless life. And I often think, man, it's sometimes hard to preach living a sinless life when I know my own heart. I know my own mistakes. How do we do that? But as I've grown, as I've researched, as I've developed, it's not just that we have to do better, try harder, white knuckle it. It's that Christ pays for those sins. And he invites us to live in a repentant and a confessional relationship with him, where we're not necessarily living a pure, perfect life, but we're confessing those times that we mess up and fall short. And that's what allows us to live in this relationship with him. And that's the beauty of communion is taking time to remember his sacrifice and just confess, Lord, here's where I've messed up. Here's where I've fallen short. And what I love is that if you're stuck in chapter one, he's inviting you to turn the page, to start chapter two fresh and to come to his table. It's time to turn away from Moab, to turn to God, to turn to the God of Bethlehem. Because when you turn away from Moab, you will find God's blessings waiting for you in Bethlehem. If you're hurting and stuck, God's waiting to turn the page. If you're caught in an addiction, cry out to him. Ask God to help you turn the page. For those of you that are losing hope, God's wanting to start a new chapter. If you're battling depression, anxiety, fear, mental health issues, maybe today is the day that you turn to chapter two because whatever it is you're going through, God hears the cry of your hearts. He hears your prayers. And when you pray, he doesn't just happen to show up. It's through his providential power. Uh, he takes natural circumstances and uses them for your good, to bring about his divine purposes in your life. That's how good our God is. So, ma- no matter what it is you're going through today, it just so happens that you're hearing truth from God's word today. It just so happens God may speak to you a word that builds your faith. Chapter one is finished, chapter two has begun. If you're struggling, I just pray that God speaks to you where you are, to, to raise you up, to be the man or woman, husband or wife that your spouse needs. With God's help, he can transform you from the inside out. It just so happens that if your faith is low, God may build your faith. When you hear his word, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Church, chapter one is closing. Chapter two begins. God is here. He is with you and he is for you. And he's inviting you to come to his table. Well, let me pray. God, thank you for the work that you're going to do in our lives. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Fill us with your spirit and by your providential power and the truth of your word, build our faith. And as we trust in you, with everybody's eyes closed, nobody looking around, I I just wonder how many of you are stuck somewhere in chapter one right now and you're ready for chapter two. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand? Just acknowledge, I need something new. I need a miracle from God. Father, I, I pray today for those who are stuck in chapter one. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a new work. God, I thank you that you make all things new, that even if we're stuck in a chapter we don't like, you can still work in that chapter to bring about good. And Jesus, we ask that you work and that you move in our lives, build our faith as we trust in you. God, thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you that through the brokenness of a Moabite woman comes the lineage of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And for anyone today who's just, you've heard the story so many times. You've tried so hard to follow Christ, but you just keep going back to old habits if you're not walking with God, I invite you today to turn your back on Moab and start heading toward Bethlehem. Step away from your sin and make Jesus your Lord. So Father, forgive us of our sins, save us, fill us with your spirit so we can know you and serve you and follow you for the rest of our lives. God, our life is not our own we give it to you and we thank you for the gift of new life we're leaving moab we're coming back to bethlehem and we pray this in jesus name amen